ready to go. So Genesis chapter 3, um, I think I'm just going to read the first seven verses or so. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And I'll stop there. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we're glad to be able to turn to your word. Lord, I ask that you would just uh, prepare our hearts this morning. Um, just help us to have a focus on you and what you would have for us. And Lord, I just ask that you would give me wisdom, uh, guide my thoughts and the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, that I would speak truth and that what is said and heard this morning would be pleasing to you, Lord, that it would be an encouragement and a help in some way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Apparently I don't have any notes. Just to give us some context here, you notice I skipped chapter 2. I've been in chapter 1 up to this point, and now I'm, I'm in chapter 3. And I'm, it's not that I'm skipping that, but the whole topic within these first few chapters is interwoven into like the next several chapters of Genesis. And so I'll be coming back to some of the creation issues um, focused last week on the, the whole idea of evolution just in the creation of the animals um, in the first couple of days there. And I'll be coming back to it to deal with other aspects of that um, as we go forward, and some of that comes up again in chapter 2. Um, but when we get into the flood and various aspects of the flood, it, it brings us back to some of those issues. And so when we get to the flood uh, a few chapters from here, we'll be coming back and revisiting some of those things. So that's why I'm not going right through chapter 2, because it's, it's hard to not jump ahead when you're looking at some of the stuff that's, that's there. So anyway, that's... Well, I've skipped chapter 2 for now, and we will be coming back to some of those things that are there. Now, chapter 3 starts to deal with some other, other issues beyond just creation. And these first few verses are... Well, the whole chapter. <laughs> this chapter deals with the origin of sin in the world. Um, the, the verses that we read is the actual sin taking place, and then the rest of the chapter kind of 
deals with what comes from that. And dealing with this, and this, what an important topic to, to look at. Um, I don't know exactly, I mentioned to the guys this morning, I have, I think, three different sermons prepared here this morning. <laughs> We're not, we don't have time to, to really fully look at these things all in, at one time. So I don't know exactly where I'm going to end up with this. We'll see where I go with it. But just looking back at that, that verse, verse 1 in chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, and, and then he asks the questions, you shall, not, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And so we come, Adam and Eve are, are living in the garden, God's given them instructions, yep, you can eat of everything. And in the previous chapter, God says there's a tree in the midst of the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're not to eat of that tree. This is literally the only thing that they were told to not do. But there was another tree in the middle of the garden as well. It's called the tree of life. And if they were to eat of that tree, they could live forever. You look in our world right now, You like technology, they're... Well, I don't think anyone's ever gone away from searching for this. But they're looking for the genetic code that we can manipulate to give us longer life. We're, we're trying to stop aging. Because we're trying to avoid the inevitable. The, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. That is what people are trying to avoid is... Not just death, but the judgment that follows that death. So, when we see the results here, God closed the garden after all this so that they couldn't eat of the tree of life after they ate of the tree of knowledge. The one that was forbidden. Do you realize, do you ever think how many rules John, how many laws are on the books and cash? <laughs> A million laws on the books. Adam and Eve only had one. And they couldn't keep it. <laughs> when we get into like Galatians. I might have a verse written down. Galatians chapter 1, if you want to just look at this. It's not the right verse. <laughs> Sorry. 
sorry, Galatians 3. I knew it was the right book. Galatians 3, and it's verse 19. It says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And that first part, why do we have the law? Because of transgression. Because people started doing those things that they shouldn't have been doing. Our, our best example, poor Paul. <laughs> Don't be a pastor's kid. You end up being a sermon illustration all the time. When Paul was little, um, he, much like any of your kids, there, there's some that get called... Um, pandas here, that have a knack for getting into trouble. <laughs> I don't want to name names. <laughs> if your kids have a knack for getting into trouble, we try to make rules for them. We try to guide them and tell them what they shouldn't do so as they don't get into trouble. And so we were at uh, a church event and lots of people and stuff going on and Jen gives Paul these instructions of don't do this, don't do that, don't do... Like, just like, here's the, the parameters. And as we're gathering food from the meal, a grape rolls off of his plate, and he stomps on the grape. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't know I needed that as a rule. <laughs> don't stomp on the grapes. <laughs> right, like, it's just... We can't even think of all the things that we need to tell the kids not to do because they, they just have a knack for doing things that they shouldn't, that we wouldn't even imagine that they would ever do. Why do we need a million laws on the books? Because people still keep coming up with new ways of doing stupid things that they ought not to be doing. It's, we, the list will never stop. People will keep being imaginative and finding new ways to do bad things. God started with one. Just don't eat that tree. I'm not even going to give you a conscience to know that there's anything else that you ought not to do. Just one thing. We're at a disadvantage. We have no idea how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden. It may have been for a while. But we're sure not given any time span. <laughs> we're not given any amount of information of things that took place prior to this event happening. It's like, all we have is the creation account. God gave the instruction, don't. And the very next thing is the account of them doing what God said don't. But we have... It's not just them, is it? There's, we, we, the, the kids in Sunday school have been talking about, the, they, they just finished the armor of God. And they learned to, to put on all this armor, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and all these different parts that speak of the different parts of our spiritual life that describes 
our spiritual life as a battle. We are in, it's not an offensive battle for us. We are in a defensive position. We are being attacked. And the shield was given as a, to stop the fiery darts. Like, they're shooting at us. And that's the picture that we see right away at the beginning, is there's somebody out there trying to cause us to break those rules, to turn ourselves away from what we ought to be doing and to do the things that we shouldn't, to turn away from God. There's, this looks very not subtle as we read it, but it actually says that the serpent was the most subtle of the beasts. <laughs> this happens in a way that's not obvious to us. We face temptations in, in ways that we would never imagine that that's what's happening in us. Which is why we need the armor of God. We need to put all these parts together to have a defense and to be ready to realize that there's an enemy that's attacking us. And it's not... We, we describe it in this physical way as if we're in a, a battle with swords and spears and arrows and things like armor and shields, helmets, and all this stuff to describe something spiritual. We understand the physical. But you know, when we're in a physical battle, <laughs> we usually know. We usually know who our enemy is. We usually know what we're fighting. These days, it's actually turning a little bit more obvious to, to the sp- a picture of the spiritual battle. You get into like cyber <laughs> stuff. All these different things, events happening, disasters happening, trains derailing and things exploding and fires in, in odd places. And people are like, I wonder, are these accidents or is this sabotage? Are we at war? And who is our enemy? Anybody aware of some of those questions <laughs> with what's going on in our world right now? There, there's a lot of things going on, and it's like, it's subtle, right? We don't, even, we don't even see the enemy. We're not even sure who the enemy is or, or if there's an enemy doing some of these things. Well, that's, that's our spiritual battle, is we need the armor, and we need to be aware and looking for somebody that's attacking us because there's a spiritual battle trying to get you to do Things that are going to turn you away from God. Things that are going to hinder your relationship with God. This passage, Genesis 3, he says unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, He questions what God's instruction really was. That's a dangerous 
thing. There's a couple of verses. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just start at the beginning of the chapter. It says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that follow Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you this day. And so he gives this example of those that didn't do, didn't obey, They were destroyed. But those that adhered to God's word were kept alive. That's that's an encouragement to them, a discouragement and an encouragement together, just to to guide them, like, there's a reason for this stuff. But he says, Hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, to do them, that ye may live. And he says in verse 2, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it. When the serpent, Satan, I'll just say who, who we're dealing with here in Genesis 3, comes to Eve and says, Yea, hath God said. This is what's happening. Is he's questioning, what did God really say? Did he really mean, don't do that? Did he really, was God really telling the truth? Did you you see that when we read it? So he doesn't, he doesn't full out come and do all of this. But he's like, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman says unto the serpent, we may eat the fruit, but of the fruit, of the tree in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, that's not exactly what the Bible records that God had said in the first place, but that's, we'll, we'll ignore what Eve says for a minute. Verse 4 says, The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, it's, ye shall not surely die. God didn't really mean what he said. That's not really what's going to happen. When God gave the law over here in Deuteronomy, he says, don't 
Add to it and don't take away from it. What I say is what I mean. If you look at the end of the Bible, God says the same thing again. The very end. Revelation chapter 22. <clears throat> Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Now, it's that warning, the same warning that he gave in Deuteronomy when he first gave the law is the warning at the very end of the inspired scriptures is that don't take away from the words and do not add to God's words. Don't do what Satan and Eve were doing there in the garden. Don't start questioning, did God really say this? Does, is this what real, God really meant by these things? We had a conversation just this morning about for a young person that wants to get into ministry, how do you, what do you recommend they do? How do you begin getting into ministry? Well, tra traditionally, for at least the last few hundred years, you'd send a, a person off to seminary, to Bible college. But what do we see coming out of Bible colleges to a large extent? I'm not saying universally. But people that are questioning where is the Bible? What is the Bible? What does it say? Can we really know? And sadly, people go into Bible college believing the Bible and they come out of Bible college questioning everything in the Bible. And that's a terrible thing to have to say about a Bible college. And I honestly, I don't know a Bible college that I could recommend. I, I'm sure there's some, but I don't know of any that you could recommend where that's not what is happening. And it doesn't happen to everybody, obviously. But the problem is, when we start questioning everything and questioning what does this really mean, and this person says that, that person says this. This should really be translated this way, or, or it's better translated that way. And we make a habit of that, of always taking the words that are on the page and stating it in a different way. It could be translated this way, or in the original it really means this. What are you talking about with the, in the original it really meant? Well, isn't that what we have in front of us is what the original really meant? <laughs> isn't that the whole point of the translated Bible was to tell us what the originals meant? How, why do we always 
try to improve on that. There's apparently currently over 900 English translations of the Bible. The question is, where's the benefit? Like, if, if we're trying to make it more understandable or more accurate, a better translation, I'd be all for that. I really would. I'd love if, if there was something wrong with what I already had and I needed to improve it, I'd be all for improving it. But I can't find any evidence that those 900 translations are actually doing that. They're just restating it in different words. But unfortunately, when you restate it 900 different ways, somewhere you lose something, and there gets errors. And when we start comparing one to another, we have a problem, because they don't say the same thing anymore. So... It, would behoove us, it would be good for us to treat our Bibles as something trustworthy that when I read what I read, I just believe it the way it's written. Um, And that's what we see in Scripture as the example. And I'll just go to a couple of those examples. Um, Go to the Gospels. Mark, um, Mark chapter 12. I think Jesus would be a good example to go to. Um, and you could look at quite a number of different times where Jesus either quotes scripture or uses it. But here's a, a very specific uh, couple of examples that I'll, I'll give you. Just the way that he approaches scripture. Mark chapter 12, um, verse 26. Jesus is dealing with um, Sadducees at this point. But he says, It's touching the dead that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Look at the way Jesus uses scripture. He's not correcting anything in it. He's not dealing with the fact that it's been translated or rewritten or copied. These are all the issues that come up all the time is copies of copies of copies and you get error and so we need to dig into and the languages change and just what did it say and that's all he says is what did, have you not read <laughs> have you not read what Moses wrote down it's touching dead that they rise have you not read in the book of Moses you know what Jesus gets out of that it's incredible he simply says, he says, how in the bush God spake unto him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. 
He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Therefore, you greatly err. Like, the conclusion is, if God says, I am, as in I currently am, and these guys have died years ago, there must therefore be a resurrection. He made a, a conclusion out of a very simple, just the tense of the, the word, right? And I've said this before here. But the point is, Jesus just took a believing stance on the written scripture that, was, that he could open up and show to somebody else to read. When Phoenix is talking to this girl to try to teach her something from the Bible, you know what the best thing he could do is? Open the Bible, read what it says, have her do the same, or, you know, if you're sitting together, you can, look, here's what it says, read it. Don't, don't put new words in, don't change it, don't explain it, don't say it would be better, like this means this, just read the words on the page. It's, it's that simple, that's exactly what Jesus did when he was teaching and dealing with especially doctrinal issues. He didn't read anything else into it. He didn't explain it. He just, this is what it says. And it meant it. It's like, there's no, ish, there's, no, there's no room for error in the way Jesus approached Scripture. There was no room for improvement on this. And he used the Scripture to prove. When you realize who Jesus is, <laughs> he is God. He John 1, like, he is the word. Like, he is the content. Like, he is the source of all that scripture. Like, if, if it needed correcting, you've got the guy to correct it standing there. But he didn't do that. He just opens the scroll, reads whatever was on that page, and he just used it <laughs> as written. I think that's a the way we should approach scripture. Just with a believing heart that the book in front of me is sufficient. Luke chapter 10. I don't know if we need a second example, but we'll give a second example. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, um, down to verse... 25 says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Jesus didn't even give the answer himself. He just asks the question, What's written? As in, go and open this, the book yourself and read it and tell me what it says. Jesus didn't need... It was just as if whatever... Like, where, where was that scroll? Was that the original scroll written by Moses? <laughs> like, what, did they keep that scroll? And did he have a, that particular one that was originally written down by Moses? Obviously not. That was, if that was the case, like, not many people had read it because it would have been worn out in 
long gone by that point. This is just a copy. And there's probably a copy in this synagogue and in that synagogue. And he's not, he's not pointing, make sure you get that one from over there. He's just, he just says, what does it say? Have you read it? Well, if you've noticed, I've been trying to encourage you to read <laughs> your Bibles. I want you to read it. I don't want you to come here on Sunday morning and just hear what I have to say about it. Because I say some things that aren't right. Whether intentionally, never intentionally, but like whether the intention of my words and I'm just wrong or, or the way that it comes out is just perceived in a wrong way. And I've had that many times. I had somebody very, very angry at me. And anyway, over, over an issue that wasn't an issue, but it was what was perceived that I said. It wasn't what I meant. And so don't worry about what I say and mean. Get in and read it. Does, it, does the book say the things that I'm saying it says? That's what we need to do. And that's, and that's why when it comes to memorization... That's important because, well, now, you know, I carry my phone on me and I've got the Bible app and I can usually look up pretty near any verse that I want on any topic if I do enough searching and I can find those verses. But there's times where that's not available. We don't have time for that. And you just need to be able to tell a person what the Bible says. If you've never memorized any verses... It's really hard to do that. If you've memorized the verse, like, you may not get it perfect when you quote it, but boy, you'll be a whole lot closer than if you had never memorized it in the first place, right? When I'm preparing to, to make a sermon, to teach something, you know how I find the verses that I'm looking for is because I've memorized many of them, because I've read it enough times that I know somewhere it says. And so I can go in and I have a starting point of what to go look up. You need to read it. You need to memorize it so that you can regurgitate it back to somebody else to help them to understand. That's the way Jesus did it. Was He just took a, a believing attitude towards what God said, just to the scripture that was written. Not questioning the source, where, you know, the translation and this and all these different things that we do. It was just, what does it say? <laughs> it's important. If we're back in, in Genesis 3 again, point it out. Deuteronomy and, and Revelation both give warning, don't add to it and don't take away from it. Don't change what's there. <laughs> Both Eve and the serpent were doing that. Now, 
I'll give Eve the benefit of the doubt in this case. Um, I see in these chapters, God is revealing more information each time that he tells the same story. And we see that in very different places in scripture. And so it may be, so I said, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt here. It may be that God, it wasn't recorded the whole conversation of God with Adam and Eve when he's given the instruction on what not to eat. Because he just says, don't eat it. Um, but Eve adds, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. Well, that's not what we recorded, but I'll give her the benefit of the doubt that maybe she's just adding the rest of the conversation that we didn't have the benefit of hearing. Right? But that's a, that's a dangerous assumption, but we'll give her the benefit of the doubt in this case. But the serpent... Not so. It says, ye shall not... Sorry, God has said... Yeah, verse 4. The serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God does know... And he goes on to explain why what God said was wrong. And this is the danger that we have of when we read our Bible and it says on day three, God created this. But some scientist says, well, that can't be. It must have taken millions of years for that to have happened. I go back to scripture and I'm like, well, okay, God didn't really mean that on that in that 24-hour period, those things happened. He must have actually meant that in the process of time, over millions of years, I, I caused these things to happen. <laughs> I directed the circumstances to allow the evolution of these things. That's what we do. That's what probably 90% of churches are teaching now. It's no longer... a God said, and I believe, which is what Jesus told us to do, which is what the Bible tells us to do. It's a, we, we question all these things. And when we start questioning in one spot, did God really say, is it really how it is? Then we start questioning that in other spots. And the whole thing becomes an area of doubt. And if we question this, you know what the next step, well, maybe not the next step, there's a process that goes on. But in the end, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know what most, not most conservative Bible-believing churches, but most churches, as a majority, if you just walk into some place that has church as the label on the front, they don't believe that anymore. They think that there is many paths to God, that any religion is sufficient, that 
Hinduism, Islam, all these different things are different paths to the same God. Go watch Oprah. <laughs> she claims to be a Christian. She claims to be a Christian and yet says that all of these other paths will still get you to God. Those things are mutually exclusive, right? If Jesus says, I am the only way, there cannot be another way. I can't believe one and the other at the same time. If you're going to take Christ, it's to the exclusion of all else. But we've thrown in the question of, is God really that narrow? Yes, God really is that narrow. And Jesus was very clear on that, that narrow is the way. There is only one way, and it is through Christ dying on the cross for our sin. And full faith in that alone for my salvation. It's the only way. If there's anything else that you're trusting in, if you think that there is some other avenue, I'm going to challenge you on this. If you think that, it is, if that there is any other avenue that another person could take to achieve salvation, then you aren't saved because you haven't fully believed that gospel. You may say, well, I believe in Jesus. But if you allow that anybody else that's not trusting in Jesus, might make it to heaven, then you don't actually believe that that is the gospel, the only way. Which means that your faith isn't entirely in that. Make sure that your faith is in entirely, wholly, in what God tells us to put it in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. It is only him, not any other religion, not any other means, but through him, his death, burial, and resurrection. Let's pray.